You're listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville. For their support, we'd like to thank Carmen's Gardens and Greenhouses, locally owned custom greenhouse and garden supply store, stocking fabrics, down-to-earth brand amendments, and gardening supplies. Open weekdays, 10 to 5. Loma Rica Drive, Grass Valley, across from the airport entrance. Carmen'sGardens.com Also, Chan Family Optometry. They are a vision care team, and Dr. Tiffany Chan offers general optometry services, testing, screening, and offers classes, contacts, and LASIK. Located on Sierra College Drive in Grass Valley, information, ChanFamilyOptometry.com. Also, we'd like to thank Hospice of the Foothills, gift and thrift stores with four locations in Nevada City, Grass Valley, Penn Valley, and Rough and Ready. All proceeds support end-of-life care for patients and families. Information at hospiceofthefoothills.org. After NPR headlines and regional weather, I'll be speaking with Matthew Isakowski from the Save Nevada County Tree Coalition. And we're going to be talking about PG&E's cutting down of trees in Nevada City. Also, I'll be talking with Tom Moores from Sierra Watch about what's happening with the proposed development for Squaw Valley. And we'll close with a commentary from Gary Zimmerman. But first, NPR headlines, followed by local weather. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Louise Schiavone. President Trump this evening returns to the campaign trail for the first time since his coronavirus diagnosis two weeks ago. The White House physician says the president has tested negative on consecutive days and is not contagious. The GOP-controlled Senate Judiciary Committee got to work on one of the president's key agenda items, filling the Supreme Court seat left vacant by the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. NPR's Nina Totenberg tells us how how Democrats weighed in on the first day of confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett. They basically said three things. The first was that the whole process of this confirmation was unprecedented and an exercise in hypocrisy that contradicted the principle that Republican leader Mitch McConnell laid down four years ago when Obama was president, namely that no Supreme Court nominee should be considered in an election year. The second point they wanted to get across was Obamacare and how Barrett could be the deciding vote to strike down the law, which is being challenged in the Supreme Court for the third time the week after the election. And the third point was that the Senate should be passing a COVID relief bill instead of this. NPR's Nina Totenberg. The nation's largest hospital chain says it's profitable again and returning $6 billion in pandemic relief. Blake Farmer of member station WPLN reports. Some of the money HCA received had to be paid back anyway, though not until next year, and some likely didn't need to be repaid at all. But CEO Sam Hazen says revenues from elective procedures have rebounded to a point where HCA won't need the additional government funding. We believe returning these taxpayer dollars early is appropriate and the socially responsible thing to do. HCA was featured in a New York Times article in June for taking more bailout money than any other hospital system in the country. The company has avoided layoffs and furloughs, but it did cut the pay of employees who don't work in hospitals. Last month, some of those pay cuts were restored. For NPR News, I'm Blake Farmer in Nashville. 
A federal judge in Minnesota has rejected a challenge to state plans to count late-arriving ballots. Details from Tim Nelson of Minnesota Public Radio. State elections officials have said they will accept ballots postmarked by Election Day for an additional seven days. That was part of a separate consent decree reached in state court to accommodate voters during the COVID-19 pandemic. A Republican state representative and a party activist, both potential presidential electors for Minnesota, filed a federal challenge to that deal last month, saying Secretary of State Steve Simon didn't have the right to accept late ballots. But U.S. District Court Judge Nancy Brazel ruled the plaintiffs didn't have standing to challenge the state court consent decree. The plaintiffs say they'll appeal her ruling to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. For NPR News, I'm Tim Nelson in St. Paul. The S&P 500 up 57. This is NPR. The U.N. reports a dramatic rise in climate-related natural disasters over the past 20 years. Lisa Schlein reports the number of global disasters, including floods and storms, has nearly doubled over the previous two decades between 1980 and 1999. Over the last two decades, more than 1.2 million people have lost their lives in more than 7,300 major disasters at a cost of nearly $3 trillion in global economic losses, head of U.N. Disaster Risk Reduction, Mamie Musatori, says more needs to be done to mitigate disaster risk. The good news is that more lives have been saved, but the bad news is that more people are being affected by the expanding climate emergency. The report finds eight of the top 10 disaster-hit countries are in Asia. China is the country with the highest number of events, followed by the United States, India, the Philippines, and Indonesia. For NPR News, I'm Lisa Schlein in Geneva. The coronavirus pandemic has taken a big bite out of the airline industry, but today Southwest Airlines announced expansion plans for next year with intentions to add flights to Houston George Bush Intercontinental Airport and O'Hare Airport in Chicago. Southwest will go head-to-head against United and American, which are both much bigger by revenue. But Southwest has not been as reliant as competitors on business travel, which has bottomed out since quarantines and lockdowns have been declared around the world. I'm Louise Schiavone, NPR News, Washington. Taking a look at the weather in our region tonight, there'll be a low of 64 here in Nevada City and Grass Valley, high of 82 tomorrow, sunny all week with highs in the mid to upper 80s, cooling to the mid 70s starting on Sunday. Sacramento, low of 52 tonight, high of 89 tomorrow, again sunny all week with highs generally in the lower 90s. And in Truckee, low of 33, high of 75, sunny through Monday with highs in the mid-70s. No rain in the forecast in our region. I'm speaking with Matthew Ozapowski, and he's uh, from the Save Nevada County Tree Coalition. And things are really starting to happen, Matthew, with the um, remaining trees. These are trees in Nevada City that PG&E has scheduled for uh, removal. Why don't you give us some background on what's going on here? Yeah, absolutely, Uh PG&E originally had 263 trees marked for removal in the uh, 
West Broad Street and Orchard Street neighborhood of, of northern Nevada City. Um, our group has been advocating for uh, about 16 of those trees, all of which have been inspected by Master Arborist Zeno Acton on a city contract, and all 16 of which he determined were, were low risk enough to be retained. So uh, guided by the science, we've been advocating to save those trees, which include the uh, historic Felix Gillet Blue Atlas Cedar on West Broad and Bennett Street, and also a large grove of uh, old pine, pine trees in the Pioneer Cemetery up between Orchard and West Broad Street. And where do things stand? Like, as of today, I understand that cranes were brought in and they were ready to go um, as of this morning. What happened today? We uh, started gathering in the Pioneer Cemetery at about 7.30 this morning. Um, and like you said, they, uh, they, took, they took quite a while setting up. They brought a really large crane in, which they were planning on using to remove those pine trees. And they set it up for a couple hours. Um, police were on hand and uh, warned us that we might be subject to arrest if we didn't disperse. Um, but time went by. The crane was set up. They had a crew of about 15 workers on hand but not working. And ultimately, they decided not to move forward. We had um, one of our sympathizers was actually up about 40 feet in one of the uh, older pine trees in the cemetery there, and that created a problem that I, I don't think they quite knew how to solve. So it was a stalemate today. Um, nobody was arrested. None of the trees that we were physically protecting there came down, although they did go for a couple outlying trees that, that were also on Zeno's list of trees that could have been retained. So uh, the situation will continue tomorrow. At 1.30 tomorrow afternoon, Zeno Acton is going to come back to do a deeper inspection of the Blue Atlas Cedar. So we're all eagerly awaiting um, the results of his inspection, and we'll continue negotiation attempts with PG&E from there, although they haven't been particularly open to um, working with us in any flexible way at all to this point. The legal options seem kind of slim at this point from your analysis of the situation that you sent to me. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about this? Yeah, we uh, for a while we were successful in getting an injunction against PG&E's work, which was going to last until November 6th. Um, that was granted by Judge Tom Anderson. Um, but they challenged that, and upon further review, Judge Anderson decided that he didn't actually have the authority to rule on the matter. And what really disturbs me, and what I really think it's important for the public to know, is that as the law stands right now, PG&E is completely and absolutely protected from any regulation by city law, by city council, by the planning commission, by the county, by the courts. Literally, they are not subject to any of the bodies or laws that we assume protect us from corporate overreach. And they have, you know, they have the legal right to take down any tree they choose within 200 feet of their lines. Um, what's happening in Nevada City is a very, very early um, manifestation of a program called their Enhanced Vegetation Management Program, which they're planning on bringing literally to every part of our county and every part of the state. 
And when we mentioned to PG&E that that would mean millions and millions of trees coming down, they said, well, that's a very, very low estimate. So, you know, across the state, we're talking about a program that's, that's slated to remove tens, if not hundreds of millions of trees. And so as one of the first towns to run into this program, we've, we've been trying our best to take a stand, understanding, of course, that fire safety is, must be a top priority right now, but also that unchecked corporate power fueled by absolutely no concerns except liability cannot be the only way that policy is set and cannot be the only way that the fate of these trees is determined. Uh, there are some trees that people can actually look at fairly easily on Upper Broad Street. Can you describe where those trees are? Yeah, if you're going up West Broad Street, um, you will see there's a gated cemetery that pretty much everybody will notice as they drive by there, which is the St. Canis Cemetery. But right before that, there's the uh, older Pioneer Cemetery, which is up on the hill to the right, Felix Joy, the um, a boriculturalist actually is buried there, um, and it's it's a lot of old Nevada City history up there, and also a lot of old pine trees. Um, and the tree that our climber was in this morning is 160 feet from the nearest PG&E line, and it's actually leaning away from that line. And so it feels to us and to Zeno Acton, who, again, is a master arborist, it feels to us like it's just an example of an extreme kind of overreach driven by, you know, a corporation that simply doesn't doesn't have any particular association or affection for the community. Um, and if you look at that, you know, if you take down that entire grove of pines that they're starting to take down, what you're going to be left with is a situation in which underbrush and nothing else will be growing there. And ultimately, that underbrush is a greater fire hazard, in our opinion, than these old pine trees are. There is the tree on, on Broad Street as you go up broad. It's on the left that's uh, been getting a lot of attention. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, that tree is a blue atlas cedar. It's uh, not native to this region. It's native to northern Africa, the Atlas Mountains. And um, it was planted by Felix Gillet, that same horticulturalist I was just mentioning, um, approximately 140 years ago, I believe, although I might have that date a little bit wrong. Um, it's a old, beautiful, sprawling sort of tree, and um, it is admittedly very close to PG&E lines, although its weight is clearly tending to pull it away from the lines rather than towards the lines, and it's been maintained by regular PG&E trimming crews for years. It's uh, actually on the walking tree tour of Nevada City, which is was put together by the Chamber of Commerce and actually largely funded by PG&E. So one of the ironic things here is that only a few years ago, PG&E had representatives on hand at a ceremony proclaiming this tree part of this walking tour. Um, but their standards have changed since then, and now they have determined that it, it must be removed. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's irreplaceable, and it's a very visible and striking part of the Nevada County, Nevada City landscape. So uh, we don't have much time left, but just basically what appears that's going to be happening tomorrow is more of the same that happened today. Is that an accurate assessment? Well, 
one thing that's happening tomorrow that's a little bit different is that Blue Atlas Cedar is going to be uh, getting a much more thorough inspection by Zeno Acton, who will hopefully be able to more clearly determine whether or not PG&E is right in their claims that it absolutely has to be removed or whether it should, in fact, be protected. Um, so there's going to be a lot of focus there, although in the morning, certainly, Pioneer Cemetery is again going to be a place of, of some confrontation. And uh, tomorrow may also be the time that the protection will run out on uh, four private properties on Orchard Street that have been resisting the cutting of all of their trees. Um, one of the neighbors down there is literally going to lose every single tree on his property, and he's prepared to be arrested on his own land to prevent that from happening, and we will be supporting him in any way that we can. Uh, uh, Matt, how can people find out more about this? Do, do you have a website? Yes, we have the saveNCTrees.org website, which is very good for general information. And if you're looking for short-term, you know, what's happening tomorrow, what's happening right now in the trees, you can also go to our Facebook page, which is Save Nevada City Trees. And that's a Facebook group page, and we're constantly approving new members as they choose to sign up. Um, Matthew, uh, thank you so much for speaking with KVMR. And we'll keep in touch uh, daily on what's happening up there. I appreciate your attention. Thank you. Thank you. I have been speaking with Matthew Ozopowski, and he is with the Save Nevada County Tree Coalition. I'm speaking with Tom Moore's executive director of Sierra Watch, uh, and we're going to talk about Squaw Valley and the whole thing that's been going on for several years now, Tom. I thought it'd be a good chance for us to kind of catch up on, on recent developments. So, Tom, can you give our listeners kind of an overview of what's happening in Squaw Valley? Yes, uh, and it's great to be with you. Thanks, Paul. Um, I can give a little overview with a, a little bit of news uh, coming from Squaw Valley. And, you know, the, maybe the first bit of news is that the name of Squaw Valley is changing. Uh, the name of the resort has not changed yet. It probably will in 2021. Um, as Sierra Watch, our commitment is to the land and the values of the mountains. And we understand that we have to use the word squaw in order to let people know what we're talking about, because that's still what people refer it to. But we look forward to a day when we're not using the word squaw anymore. And we look forward to a day uh, when we're not talking about the threat of development that threatens that place, no matter what we call it. So that's been a hot topic in, and I'm going to say Squaw Valley and Tahoe in the Sierra is the impending name, cha name change, which is a long time coming. Um, but to get back now to the development threat to Squaw Valley and to Tahoe and to our Sierra. It's been it's been a while. Uh, it's been nine years since a out of state private equity firm bought Squaw Valley, hoping to develop it. And the good news is that we've stopped them so far. The bad news is that the development threat remains. We're talking about a series of high rise condos, a roller coaster, an indoor water park as wide as a Walmart and about three times as big. 
Uh, and this, this private equity firm, which is now known as Altera Mountain Company, seems hell-bent in bringing this Vegas-style development to Squaw Valley and threatening everything we love about Tahoe and our mountains. It would be so much development that it would actually take 25 years to construct. So as Sierra Watch, we've been mounting this grassroots campaign to keep Squaw true, to keep Squaw true to its timeless values and, and, and everything we love about Tahoe. And the good news, once again, is we've been successful through a lot of grassroots organizing, uh, really effective uh, legal challenges. We've been able to stop the development so far. But the news, the news of the day to report is that uh, even though Altera Mountain Company has committed to change the name of their resort, uh, they have given no indication that they're willing to change the scope of their massive development. And they've even begun negotiations with local government on how government needs to provide water service, sewer service, and fire service to their proposed development. Now, this is in Placer County, correct? That's right. It's in Placer County. Uh, Squaw Valley lies just outside of the Tahoe Basin um, up in Placer County. What is the status of the legal challenges? Uh, it's a great question. So, again, uh, the development was first initially proposed uh, nine years ago, back in 2011. Placer County, and it's the Placer County Board of Supervisors who have land use decision-making authority over Squaw Valley, they approved uh, Altera's development proposal, even though there was overwhelming public opposition. There was clear evidence that uh, it put people at risk because of fire danger, uh, that there wasn't enough water for this development, that it would add thousands of car trips to Tahoe's traffic mess. They approved it anyway in 2016 was actually uh, the week following the election of President Trump, if everybody remembers how long ago that was. Uh, when they made those approvals, they were not only irresponsible, they were also illegal. So Sierra Watch took Placer County and the developers to court. And the reason why those approvals were Ill illegal is because the approvals violated California's good government laws because to some extent they were based on a last minute secret deal with the developers. And maybe even more importantly, the approvals violated California's planning laws because they, by law, they have to tell us what would this development mean to traffic, to water quality, et cetera. And they really failed to do that. So those legal challenges are rock solid and they are currently pending in the third district court of appeals. And I know your next question is, well, when are we going to find out? When are we going to get a ruling? And the short answer to that is we don't know. It's likely that sometime in the next year, in 2021, we'll get a decision from the Court of Appeals. In the meantime, they can't break ground and there is no indoor water park in Squaw Valley. So the developers, again, have not really done anything physical yet at the, apparently so but let me ask this question have are there any indications that they've uh, in, uh have a willingness to maybe limit and modify their proposals no again paul you'd think that in the in the face of overwhelming opposition rock solid legal challenges uh the the, the increasing dangers of 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 fire in the sierra nevada i mean just to 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 put a fine point on that all the new development would be um, would make it 
much more dangerous in the case of wildfire, which is going to happen at some point. It would actually take more than 10 hours just to evacuate Squaw Valley if this development were built in the, in the event of wildfire. So you'd think all these reasons might might convince Altera Mountain Company to, to come to the table and talk to community members and come up with a plan that's more reasonable. We haven't seen them do that yet. So that means we need to keep doing the work to keep Squaw True. We need to keep making people aware of what's proposed and getting involved to secure a better outcome. And if people haven't seen it already, we actually made a great movie about what we're doing. It's called The Movie to Keep Squaw True. And if you go to sierrawatch.org or even to YouTube, you can stream this movie. It's an hour long and it's a it's a tells the great story of how we're working together to protect this place that we love. Have the developers at all acknowledged the uh, changes of influence of climate change on their plans? No, again, um, private equity developers now known as Altera Mountain Company, they came to town and it was clear that their job is to squeeze as much money out of uh, Tahoe and, and, and everything we love about Tahoe and Squaw Valley as possible. And they came forward with this really uh, shoot the moon maximum development proposal. Again, the Placer County Board of Supervisors approved it in 2016. And we have seen no, no indication whatsoever that they're willing to work together on something that makes more sense. And that's really what our job is. Like, we don't necessarily care about winning a lawsuit. What we want to do is secure a better outcome, Squaw Valley and for Tahoe. So, um, so our job is to, is to convince them that they need to abandon this development plan and uh, work together on something that makes more sense. We just haven't seen their willingness to do that yet. Uh, Tom, uh, one more question. How can people find out more about this? Yeah, great, great question. Um, if people want to find out more and learn how to get involved, the easiest way to do it is go to sierrawatch.org. They can learn more about the great work we're, we're doing and the movement to keep Squaw true. Uh, and then, again, there's this um, really entertaining way to learn about our work. Uh, you can uh, devote an hour of your life to watching the movie to keep Squaw true. And it's a wildly entertaining and cinematic uh, depiction of this incredible effort um, that we're mounting in order to protect the mountains that we love. Tom, thank you so much for speaking with KVMR. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Paul. I've been speaking with Tom Moores, Executive Director of Sierra Watch, and we've been talking about the developments in Squaw Valley, the proposed developments. <laughs> You're listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino, Placerville, and this is the Monday edition of KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's news program airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, we have this week's edition of Disability Wrap, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out today's newscast, we have Gary Zimmerman with a commentary.
In the recent debates for the upcoming Nevada Irrigation NID Board of Directors election, the candidates presented very different views on NID's need to do feasibility studies first before spending on major projects, in their evaluations of present and future financial conditions, and on NID's ability to borrow in the bond market. And these are important issues for water users and taxpayers. It will cost you and I, the 25,000 NID water customers, a huge amount of money if NID attempts to go forward with a proposed dam on the Bear River with a $1 billion price tag and doesn't first evaluate the proposal's total costs and financial feasibility. Over several decades, that $1 billion averages out to about $40,000 in additional water costs per each NID customers. That's right, $40,000. Why so much? Construction costs for the dam were estimated by state economists to be around $500 million. Borrowing to finance the dam uh, adds another $500 million. So why didn't NID provide a study for the feasibility of the construction cost and financing costs to the public and NID board members before promoting a dam and before spending millions buying property for the dam? This is an irresponsible NID direction that could burden NID water users and taxpayers for decades to come. As an economist who has reviewed NID finances and presented my analysis on borrowing limits to the NID board, I would like to comment on several assertions made by the candidates on this subject. Candidates Miller and Johansson ignore the huge total cost of the proposed dam by ignoring the cost of borrowing to finance the dam. They also ignore NID's limited borrowing capacity, and they also ignore the costs, total cost to NID water users. In sharp contrast, candidates Karen Hull and John Norton understand the cost of water to you. Now, they also know how to run NAD like a public service business. They understand NID's borrowing limitations and actual need for water. Now, who's right, who's right about this? Can NID actually borrow $500 million, uh, with no interest costs, as Miller and Johansson suggested? Um, well, what NID staff recently estimated paying and having to pay interest costs around 4%. Not zero. You know, again, will the cash-strapped state or federal governments provide free funding for the proposed dam? Not likely. Candidates Karen Hull and John Norton understand that you know NID customers will have to pay. Um, Hull and Norton have also raised important concerns about NID's ability to borrow that their you know, opponents ignore to protect our existing water operations. NID is expected to borrow over $80 million to finance already planned infrastructure projects. Karen Hull and John Norton understand that NID will not be able to borrow another $500 million, not now or in the near future. The opinions expressed in this commentary are mine only and do not necessarily express the opinion of KVMR Radio, its staff, board of directors, members, or underwriters. Thank you. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the Federal Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. That's our newscast for this evening. Next up, we have Disability Wrap, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening, folks. <music>